once again. May I begin by calling your attention to Marty Fish. American, professional tennis player. He retired just in 2015, just after the U.S. Open. But um, his retirement uh, actually came after a three-year break from tennis. He was out of the game for three years. He re-entered it and he just retired recently. Uh, the reason he was out of the game for three years, and he was a fairly successful player. He won the silver medal at the 2004 Olympics. He made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon and the Australian Open and some other big tournaments. But as I say, he was out of the game for three years. And the reason, anxiety. He actually had panic attacks. And it actually was so severe, it messed up his game. He opened up about this uh, on a website called the Professional, uh, the Players' Tribune. And he talked about the pressure of professional athletics, the pressure from sponsors. You know, you've got to perform at a high level or they'll, they'll drop you. He talked about just performing, just playing in front of big crowds, and it was... It was not a happy life. And he had such great anxiety, he couldn't cope with it. It messed up his game, he dropped out for three years. But then, he learned to deal with it. Not perfectly. He didn't uh, wipe away all anxiety, but well enough to come back into the game. And he said... This anxiety that has taken my job away is now under control. He said, I'm doing my job again, and I'm doing it well. Now, the reason I begin with a professional athlete is because I think we might have some affinity. Not, perhaps, in athletics, not in athletics, because I don't think anyone here, as far as I know, has that kind of giftedness. But I do sense here at Crossbridge that I'm among a crowd of high achievers. I suppose I'm one of them too. And with a culture of performance, achievement, do well, strive, you know, excel. Uh, with that kind of culture comes anxiety. Our parents or our grandparents or our coaches or our teachers or the boss, they set really high standards for us and then we internalize those standards. They become our values. These authorities are teaching us. They're discipling us. And maybe not intentionally, but they're, they're training us that our value is linked to performance. And that leads to anxiety, because you've got to perform. 
You know the kind of thing I'm talking about. Someone says, oh no, oh no, I've I got a test tomorrow. I, I'm just full of anxiety. My, my average in that class is 96.6 currently, but I have to bring it up to a, at least an average of 97 so that I can qualify for the, the whatever. And that means in order to, in order to uh, pull it up to 97 on this test, I have to get at least a 98. Oh no! Somebody says, oh no, the, the, the boss has just released the sales uh, goals for this coming month. They are totally unrealistic. I know I did very well last month. I got a, the award for that, that thing, but I don't think I can keep it up. I just, I don't know what to do. Perform. Your essence, your, your inner person is linked to achievement. And besides just uh, the, the, the anxiety that comes along with this performance mentality, we have, we have just the regular stresses and strains of life. Somebody says, oh no, the doctor just gave me the diagnosis. Well, sort of, but not really. All she said was that we need to do more tests. Well, what's that supposed to mean? What am I supposed to conclude from that? Anxiety. Somebody says, oh no, my friends or my family, they're fighting again. I, this happens all the time. I hate it when this happens. And they, they come to me to be like some kind of intermediary and they, to communicate through me. And I don't know what to do. Oh no. Now I'm not going to labor this introduction to this passage because I think we get it. We need... Peace. The Bible's word is shalom. It means wholeness, well-being. And here's the good news. God promises that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He promises this to us by offering three, I don't know what to call them, disciplines or three practices that we can access this peace. Three ways to experience this peace that guards the heart and the mind. We're going to read the passage. See if you can pick out these three disciplines, these three practices as we read. Would you like to read it uh, together, please? Let's start with the reference up at the top. Philippians 4, everybody together. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I want you to know that I want this. I want you to know that I need this. This last week, I lost sleep, couldn't sleep very well on three different nights because of worry and anxiety. Forgive me for not going into detail about this trial that I'm in right now. It's not some huge trial. It's sort of a run-of-the-mill, ordinary trial. I just want you to know, I'm under the authority of this word also. I want this peace. Now, he offers us three disciplines, three practices. Can you see them up there? The first one is right praying. Do not be anxious about anything, but by everything in prayer, with supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which we really can't understand completely, (laughs) will guard your heart and your mind. Three words for prayer. The first one is prayer. It's kind of a general word. You know, there's a general category of prayer. Then we have supplication. Do you know that word? That means to to ask for things, to, to, to request things. And then the third one you see is thanksgiving. That means thanksgiving. To to say thank you. Do you do this when you feel anxious? Or is all of your energy going into the, 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 the problem, the issue, the thing, the anxiousness, all oh, you're focused on, what can I do? Oh, I can't do anything. Oh, and the, the, the consequences, oh, life's terrible. Pray. Let your request be made known to God. Talk to Him. Just lay it out there. Don't forget to thank Him. I did this this last Tuesday. I was, uh, I was running, I was jogging, and normally when I run, I listen uh, with my iPod, I, I, I listen to uh, books, I just listen to lots of books, which I think is a great way to use your time. Uh, but this time, I, I left my iPod behind and I prayed. I was at Gordon College on the indoor track. It's only a tenth of a mile, so it's like, going around and around a tenth of a mile. You feel like a squirrel, you know, going around. And I'm praying. And on each lap, so I could sort of uh, keep track of things, on each lap, I first of all, for this lap, I thanked God about this situation that I'm referring to. And then on the next lap, I thanked God for something else. And then on the next lap, I thank God for something else. You know what I discovered? There's lots to thank God for. You just got to think about it, though. You got to discipline your mind. You got to name those things and offer them back to God. Then I started supplicating. I started asking, would you please do this? Would you please do this? Oh, and God, please do something in me, not just about this other thing, this other person, but 
please do this. And you know what happened? I think, to some degree, the peace of God guarded my heart and my mind. Please notice the promise is not, it'll take away all your anxiety. It's gone. That may be sort of implied, that may, that may be implied, or at least lower your anxiety, but the promise is what? What does it say? Pray about things, supplication, thanksgiving, and the peace of God will guard your... What does this mean? Guard from what? Well, what's some of the bad stuff that comes along with anxiety? Hopelessness? Bitterness? A tendency to drift from the Lord? Yeah? Our Lord Jesus said, uh, you remember the parable of the, uh, the, the farmer that was sowing seed? Remember, some of the seed fell on good ground and it, it grew and it sprang up. Some fell on rocky soil and it sprang up in, in, initially, but then it died away. Here's, here's one of the things, one of the seeds uh, fell on some ground. He said, the one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life choke it. Making it unfruitful. I think when the Apostle Paul, when the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul promises, pray about things, supplication, thanksgiving, when you adopt this, this discipline, make this a practice, I think when he promises, and the peace of God will guard your heart, I think this is the kind of thing he's talking about. That the word implanted in you will not be choked. You will not veer from the Lord. You will not accuse the Lord. You will not become bitter. You will not start lashing out at others. You will not give in to hopelessness. Rather, a certain level of concern and anxiety is likely to still be present, but there's also simultaneously trust, worship, hope, so says the Word of God. Right praying. Will you do this? Will you try it? I mean, will you try it today? Will you try it tomorrow? I bet you're going to have some worries today or tomorrow. Channel that energy into saying thank you. Into saying please. Supplication and thanksgiving. Second discipline, right thinking. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, that means righteous, that means good. Whatever is pure, whatever is beautiful, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about it. The word think means dwell on. It means put it in park right there. Meditate. Dwell on these things. 
You say, well, what's the connection between thinking and anxiety? Every connection between those two. Because what does the book of Proverbs say? As a man or a woman thinks in his heart, so is he. The old, uh, there's an old sort of a proverb or an old, old poem that says, um, so a thought, so like a farmer sowing seed, so a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap character. So character, reap a destiny. And it all begins here. It all begins here. Think about that which is honorable. Think about that which is commendable, just, righteous, beautiful, excellent. And you may find your anxiety diminishing. Well, how do you cultivate right thinking? How do we, how do we, how do we, you know, adopt this as a practice, as a discipline? Let me suggest two ways, uh, positive and negative. Positively, um, dwell on godly things. Hold before your mind, like through reading or music or conversation, but prompt yourself to dwell on, to meditate, to think about godly, good, beautiful things. You may remember a couple weeks ago I gave you a quotation from C.S. Lewis. It's applicable here also. Lewis said, one must train the habit of faith by making sure that some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before the mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief in Christianity nor nor any other belief will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. So, think about that which is lovely, commendable, honorable. Positively, dwell on these things. Find your own way, but it's likely to occur through music. It's likely to occur through reading. It's likely to occur through conversation. Dwell on these things. And then negatively, how can we cultivate right thinking? Avoid or, or kick out or steer clear from that which is not beautiful, not Praiseworthy. Steer clear of that which is trashy and dirty and negative and degraded and degrading. You know, a lot of this input into our brains, frankly, it comes through our media. Am I, am I right about this? I'm talking about the movies and music videos and I mean, even stuff like Facebook. And I know all of these things can be good and they're they're gifts from God, but these things are largely under the control of the prince of the power of the the air of this uh, world. 
But we still want to, we volunteer for these things. We, we turn on the radio, we do this, we listen to that, we, and we, and we just, well, what's the old, uh, computer, uh, programming proverb? Garbage in, garbage out. And if you're thinking about ugly, degraded, uh, 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 dirty things, I don't see how that is going to lead to shalom, peace with God. So the first discipline is prayer, thanksgiving and supplication. The second discipline is 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 thinking straight. And here's the third one. Right doing. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What is the relationship between doing or practice or action and peace? Well, maybe we can answer that by uh, thinking about balance theory. Balance theory. Balance theory is a psychological uh, theory. It's a way of um, analyzing humans, which says we must be in balance. We have a craving, we have an instinct to have congruency, balance, between our beliefs, our values, the stuff we care about, and our actions. It's really a miserable kind of life to say, I care about this, but then live another way. We're out of balance. You know what happens according to balance theory? If you say, I believe this, but you live that way, do you know what will happen? We will, and you continue to go this way, we'll adjust the beliefs to bring it into balance with our behavior. For example, here's a father who says, and it actually means, family, my number one value, I love my family, I, it's the most important thing to me, and he really does mean it, that's his value, but he doesn't really live that way. He's basically sort of an absentee father. He's hardly ever around and he works like crazy hours. Doesn't have to. He volunteers for it. Maybe it's that achievement thing. And whenever he does have some free time, he doesn't, he just spends, goes out and spends it with the guys and, and there's no balance between his values, which he really holds, and his behavior. And it results in lack of peace. And if he continues this way long enough, he'll adjust to the beliefs. He'll come to say, oh, well, the kids don't really need me. Or, oh, well, I'm doing the best I can. All my co-workers are like, and oh, well, whatever. I'll give you another example. Here's a young person who attends church and is part of his or her life and who genuinely believes, honestly believes in his or her heart 
the commands of God. But he was living sexually active. This person knows that the Bible says, flee sexual immorality, and you know, the Ten Commandments and all of this, and actually believes that and actually, you know, wants to live that way, but behaves this way. And if we continue this way, we'll adjust the beliefs. We can't live out of balance. It's too miserable. This disconnect. And so we'll say, oh well, uh, yeah, that, that's just Paul. What's that supposed to mean? Oh well, everybody's doing it. Oh well, uh, uh, I really love the person. And we'll try to manufacture peace however we can. But the Word of God says, what you've learned from me, the Apostle Paul, what, what, what you've seen, my, my example, put these things into practice. And you'll avoid this. And there will be harmony. And the God of peace will be with you. Right. Praying right, thinking right, doing. How can you become one who walks with God and is obedient and, and avoids this disconnect? Well, first of all, none of us is perfect. Am I right about that? No one obeys perfectly. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not expecting that. I'm saying there's a general alignment with beliefs and behavior. And when our behavior contradicts our values, instead of adjusting those values, we uphold those values and we confess and we repent. Lord, I did this. That was bad. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I want to live this way. Help me. Forgive me. And you continue in balance. How can you cultivate right doing? Well, what, what does the passage imply? It implies we need a mentor. We need a model. Look, what you have learned from me, what you received from me. Hey, you Philippians, hey, I'm, I'm your spiritual father. You know, I, I'm the Apostle Paul. Well, just, just look at my life. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but just do what I do. Do you have a spiritual mentor? Give somebody, somebody sort of above you, kind of you look up to. Pray, ask God for that. Somebody that can encourage you and equip you and kick you in the seat of the pants, and somebody that can mentor you. And the God of peace will be with you. Everybody needs a Paul, <laughs> but everybody needs a Barnabas also. Do you know what I mean? Barnabas was Paul's friend. He was his co-worker. You know, they were on this level, not this vertical authority. He was just a, you need a Barnabas also. A peer, a friend that will encourage you and pray for you and model for you. But those are two good tools for developing right doing. So, Crossbridge, high achievers. Anxious and precious 
children of God. Try some right praying. Try some right thinking. Whatever is godly and honorable. Try some right behavior from a mentor. And see if the peace of God guards you, your heart and your mind, from hopelessness, despair, drifting from God, bitterness. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do pray by the power and presence of your Spirit that you'll help us to pray and think well and behave well to experience the peace of God. In Jesus' name, amen.